many people have been asking me, how do I get my podcast up and running that quickly? Well, the secret is Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It can also help you to distribute a podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from a podcast too, with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. If you're interested, find out more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I have deep conversations with the people who are enabling organizations to become ready for the future of work. My guests include the mindfulness coach, the folks behind Singapore's most popular investment app, and many more. They all have one thing in common, and that is to help level up your organizations through your people. My guest today is Lok Tian Li. He is an international fellow of information privacy and writes for the International Association of Privacy Professionals, Data Protection Excellence Network, and Bloomberg Law. Prior to joining Straits Interactive, he was Data Protection Officer and Director of an Tech firm. He is a co-developer and co-trainer of the module Data Protection Principles in China and Taiwan for SMU Academy and is a PDPC appointed speaker on selected topics. Straits Interactive is a leading data protection service provider that is listed on the PDPC website and active in the region. They have helped hundreds of organizations and thousands of individuals on their professional journey in personal data protection. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. For Hi. people that are unfamiliar with what uh, Streets Interactive is doing, how would you describe it to them? Yeah. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for having me on the show as well. So I'm Timmy from Streets Interactive. And what we do is we are doing everything about data protection. All right. So simply put, we are one of the leading data protection service providers. And you can even find us listed on the PDPC's website. So PDPC is the regulator for the data protection law in Singapore. And for, for us as Straits, we are active in Singapore, in Malaysia, in the Philippines, basically in ASEAN. And you know, as the data protection laws mature, we'll be looking to expand further as well. Yeah, so um, I think the easiest way to think of us is that, well, if you are a data protection officer, um, be it voluntary or not, <laughs> yeah, you probably have heard of us because we, have pro- we provide training courses. Okay, we also provide consulting services. And you may have heard of our data protection management system. It's called the DPO Inbox. So if there's any part of your um, professional journey in data protection, then that's what we do. And that's where we are to help. And what motivated you to join this line of business? Oh, okay. So, um, you know, actually just about up to four or five years ago, I was still running a HR tech firm. So that was my background. And while I was in the HR tech firm, I was a director as well as the data protection officer. Now, how all this came about was that one day, one of my biggest clients back then, Okay, they give me a contract and they said, hey, Tianli, you know, in order to sign this contract, I need you to show that you can comply with PDPA. And my first question to them was, huh? What is PDPA? Yeah, so that back then, PDPA, you, know, you didn't hear too much about the enforcement cases. So you know, it was a bit of back and forth. I was trying to find out, so what exactly are you looking for to demonstrate compliance with PDPA? And yeah, that's quite a sexy term, right? but to be frank, back then, it wasn't clear for us. Yeah, well... All I could answer was, yes, I have some policies. Yes, I uh, encrypt and I protect my files with passwords. So when that happened and I, was, I tried to get the, you know, solicit some response from my clients, you know, just to get some hints and maybe some guidance because they are MNC and they probably have more experience. 
Now, um, quite interestingly, they, they couldn't come back with, uh, with a lot of guidance back then. And I went for a course in data protection. I went to build out all this evidence. And after I showed it to them, it actually enabled me to take out a different position because I then asked them, so what about your other vendors? Yeah, whether you know they are doing this as well, are they doing better? And since they started you know, having some um, difficulty answering these questions, so I actually pitched to them that, you know what, I'm a HR tech firm. Okay, I, you can see that I have good data protection practices in place. Doesn't that make me a trusted partner? And as a trusted partner, why don't we sign a longer contract? Let's sign a bigger contract too. So that effectively increased my contract size back then okay, by 12 times. So that's when it got me really interested because it seems like, hey, the big companies care about data protection. We know that there is a PDPA now. And back then, I, I, I went to do some research. Okay, that was when you know, the European Data Protection Law, GDPR, was not yet enforced. It was still being developed. So I went to do some research. Oh, China doesn't have this data protection law. Oh, there are some other ASEAN countries. They are building, they are developing a law. So I felt there's a lot of potential. And okay, so don't mind me, uh, being a little patriot over here. Then I started thinking about Singapore and I, I saw that, hey, if we can attract data-related jobs to Singapore, then we'll have you know, good value, good well-paid jobs as well. And that's going to solve a lot of problems, you know, being in the HR tech industry. And then I thought about it. I thought about how it could be one of the pillars for the economy, for our defense. And yeah, so I started to dream uh, a little bigger and I planned out my own roadmap like every other HR professional would do, right? So after planning out a roadmap, I went on to get my uh, international certifications and that's where it got me very interested in data protection because I saw the potential for personal, for organizational and well, to a certain extent for national growth too. So that's my little story about how I got in, uh, really interested in data protection. It just seems to have uh, to possess huge potential for organization. Although your example you mentioned earlier on is more from a HR tech vendor perspective, G, uh, PDPA, for those who are, of you who are not familiar, it means the Personal Data Protection Act, uh, do cut across different industry, different sectors. For, for organizations that may not be able to connect the line as much on how PDPA or the Privacy Act would be able to help them in their business, but still they have to do so. Are there any stories, any examples that you'd like to share that maybe you could help them to understand what would be what would be the negative example if you don't really take care of it? I don't understand mm. before the show, you have actually shared with us uh, a couple of information. One is regarding a company by the name of DSHR and they were actually fined by EPC uh, of 33000 Singapore dollar. Could, could you just touch a bit on that? Yeah, sure, sure. That'll be my pleasure. So uh, maybe I'll give you some background as well. Okay, the PDPA, the Personal Data Protection Act, as you have just pointed out, is a law that all companies that handle personal data must comply with. Okay, failing which, okay, when there's a breach of PDPA, the company can be liable to a maximum fine of up to $1 million. And now this is being discussed, okay, there uh, is being proposed to revise this sum to up to 10% of turnover. So it can be a very uh, pretty harsh blow yeah, for reaching the PDPA. Now, besides that, there are other, other penalties, okay, potential consequences, such as a jail term, and definitely for all the HR vendors, not just HR tech vendors, then you will want to you know, take extra note about your reputation, yeah, the, 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 the risk of losing your reputation, as well as the recovery costs if there's a data breach. Now, for this case, DS Human Resource, DSHR, 
essentially, if I were to summarize it, okay, they, they were using a vendor, okay, and so they outsourced some services to a vendor, and they probably didn't know too much about how this vendor is protecting the data, what are the security features that are available, okay, and especially because this vendor okay, also has some open source software, and then it becomes very important for us, right, besides HR, other functions will also be using vendors. So if you find yourself in a similar situation, then you want to take note of some of these key points I'm about to mention. Okay, so essentially DSHR, without understanding the security features, got hacked. Okay, they got hacked by a, of course, by an unauthorized hacker. And the hacker did not stop at just accessing the data that was in the care of DSHR. The hacker even went on to delete the data after that. So you can imagine the damage done could be very large. Yeah, besides personal data, Okay, it can also involve other confidential information because when a database is hacked, all the information in it is also hacked. And that is why, um, you know, when we say, uh, although I'm from the personal data protection industry, but, you know, as a general good practice, I also happen to be an international GRC professional, governance, risk management and compliance professional. So because with this angle in mind as well, then all data should be protected. Okay, just that I'm focusing more on personal data right now. Now, after they got hacked, Okay, after this DSHR got hacked, they were even they even received what, what we call a, a, a ransom, okay, a payment demand. So the hacker asked for I think about two point sorry, zero point two five bitcoins, okay, in, in return to give them access to the database. Okay, so imagine you have so you have some gold in your house. Okay, some guy comes in, he changes the lock, and then you can't enter your home anymore. Okay. And now the now the, the robber now tells you, sorry, the burger now tells you. Okay, now pay me some money so that I'm going to unlock the door. I'll give you a key to unlock the door and you can go back in. The thing is, the hacker doesn't give you the original key. He gives you a duplicate. So the hacker is, is able to get back to your door. Okay, and the hacker also leaves another window open so that in case you change the lock, the hacker can still climb through that window. Okay, so I hope this example helps to illustrate what are the potential second level damages that a hack can, can cause. Okay, now, so, it's, it's, so imagine if you're a DSHR, it's already quite a painful blow that, you know, you have just lost access to your very uh, very valuable data, okay, that you have to pay uh, a, a ransom sum, okay, and then think about this, because you are also under the Personal Data Protection Act, the PDPA, you are now answerable to the PDPC, the Personal Data Protection Commission as well. Okay, so uh, just a brief background without going too technical. There are nine obligations under the PDPA, which all, all organizations that handle personal data must comply with. So when a breach like this happens, okay, when someone makes a complaint, then the PDPC would do an investigation and they will evaluate you against these obligations. So DSHR was found to have breached, well, okay, being a bit technical again, uh, section 24 and section 12 of the PDPA. So this will refer specifically to uh, some of the obligations, such as the protection obligation, Okay, and also now it became a double whammy that after having having the data stolen, they were now found by PDPC to have breached their duties. Okay, in relation to the obligations of the PDPA, and hence, okay, the PDPC considered the posture of the of DSHR what they have done to protect the data normally. Okay, their usual practices whether they have what is known as a DPMP, a data protection management program in place. Okay, of course, they, they don't just look at, you know, the fact what we call the aggravating factors, okay, things that will make you look more culpable. 
but they also look at the mitigating factors. And the PDBC noted that DSHR was proactive, was, was cooperative with the investigations, and they quickly implemented corrective measures. And even with that in mind, okay, we, we don't, even with all these mitigating factors in mind, they still receive a $33,000 financial penalty. So that's a gist of this, of this case. And what I would really like to highlight is, one, DSHR did not know their vendor or their service or the outsource services well, and hence they were not able to protect themselves sufficiently. Okay, that's the first thing. Secondly, okay, they did not protect the database with a password. Now that's really, really basic. And if you think about your, not just your database, even if you're just working from home or working uh, or using your corporate uh, Wi-Fi, then you must have a strong password. So they failed the first step. You don't have a password, and they and, you know, and you should also consider the next the next factor whether your password is strong enough. So you know you can you do a quick Google search and you can see a list of commonly used passwords that are pretty weak and what we like to term hackers favorite things like password one two three. Yeah. So yeah. So do take note of this. You just mentioned my password. Oops. <laughs> so I, I can I can imagine how uh, of a double whammy it could be. In fact, business crushing for organizations that have to incur the wealth of such consequence. And I think it also it really boils down to organization taking a very lax approach and not really paying much attention to the data that they have in hand, which of course one thing lead to another. And given the current situation, you mentioned about password, and right now we're in a COVID time where many people are actually working from home. How, from a best practice perspective, what are some advice you would give to organizations that have trouble already trying to manage their business and now they have people re- remotely distributed across different parts of Singapore, maybe even the different part of the world, where content on their laptop, their access could be seen by different prying eyes. Any advice for them? Oh, that's a very nice point that you touched on, Adrian. So as we are working from home, you know, with all this uh, social distancing and remote working, then I'll look at it from a, a few scenarios. The first one we we'll probably want to consider is the increased okay, uh, in- engagement of vendors. So one of, the, one of the companies that really benefited from this boom, okay, from working from home is Zoom. Yeah, it's a video conferencing platform. And well, I can just share personally, I've been already been approached by a few organizations and I do this sometimes on pro bono to give some advice on this. So in terms of, let's say, I'm just going to use Zoom as an example, yeah? So one of, the, one of the few steps that you definitely want to consider is if you're using a video conferencing platform, go and understand the settings. Are you able to lock your meeting? Okay, before you even admit anyone into the meeting room, how do you verify the identity? Yeah, because right now as we go online, we do note that the, uh, your username or, or rather the display name may not be your real name. Okay, even uh, if you're using a picture, that picture may also not be your picture. So I have a few friends that, well, okay. So there are a few friends whose accounts were hacked on Facebook. And from there, they gained a lot of access to all the different uh, different pictures and videos okay, that my friends had. And yes, people would, would, will uh, definitely assume your identity. So that's one concern. Now imagine if you're conducting a course or if SHR, you're conducting your interviews online. Then at the very least, if you're not going to turn on the video for your video conferencing platform okay, at all times, then you, you definitely want to at least take a look okay, right, right at the start, get the candidate to turn on the video, make sure it is the person that you're expecting. 
if you have to you know, use certain uh, pieces of uh, information to, to verify the identity, then yeah, make sure the person can can show it to you on the on, on the screen as well. Okay, so I've heard some folks suggest okay, not not in Singapore but from other countries, they were suggesting that you know you may, you may even want to use a two FA yeah system to verify that it is indeed the candidate. Okay, so that's that's one thing. And as I mentioned about putting the candidates in perhaps a waiting room before admitting them, okay, now this is also a very important because as you are sharing, as you're conducting your meetings internally, okay, you may not have invited certain colleagues to join. Or if in the case of some video conferencing platforms, some people may be, may be randomly looking for, uh, randomly uh, putting in these meeting numbers, okay, meeting IDs, and trying to just jump in to your meeting. So Adrian, you mentioned prying, uh, prying eyes. Yeah, do, do watch out for the listening year too. Yeah, so when that happens, if you have a, 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 a process okay, that admits candidates into a waiting room before you admit them into the official room, then at least that gives you a filter. Okay, now, after, after your expected participants have joined the session, okay, do a roll call, do a count, verify that, then lock the meeting room to avoid what is known as Zoom bombing, okay, where an unauthorized person can come in, take over your screen, and start showing material or screenshots that are not intended for. Okay, so similarly, as you're using all these uh, platforms, definitely you're not expected to be the expert of all the platforms and you may be looking for help. For help. Okay, so when you look for help, do take note that some of these IT support sessions okay, may not be done by the company. So let me share a case that happened over this uh, the past six months. Okay, so uh, it's one of my one of the contacts. So, so my contact was actually scammed. Yeah, they, they, she was scammed by, by a party pretending to be Microsoft's technical support. Yeah, and the, the dangerous thing is that the technical support, okay, although it may sound logical that they're going to ask you to hand over okay, uh, control of your PC, okay, so they, they ask for remote control. Yeah, and then they ask you to, uh, they will do some troubleshooting. Now, do, uh, do be pretty wary about this because I know reputable companies typically do not ask you to hand over control. Yeah. And there are also others who are calling in and you know, pretending to be from the police, from some authorities. So these are some of the different risks that you may be facing in a work from home context. Yeah, now, um, the other case that is probably very interesting is that as you're working from home, especially if you have kids who are growing up and running around, then do take note of where you're placing your documents, okay? Whether you are displaying them on the screen, whether you're uh, letting them lie around, because yeah, we, we are not in a very large country. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes we do have to share certain rooms. You know, some, uh, the kids may be using it for their studies, for their classes, and you may be using it for work as well. So my suggestion is you probably want to at least have a cabinet okay, with a lock that after, after you're done with your work, you want to keep your documents inside and lock it up okay, so, uh, so that the unauthorized people really do not have access to it. These are just some of the very quick tips and... As a broader, as a broader strategy, sorry, as a broader measure for the company, then quickly contact your data protection officer, or quickly do a review and see if you have a work from home policy that your that your colleagues, that your employees have already read through and agreed to. Yeah, so that's the most Im- most immediate measures that I can suggest in today's climate. Yeah. Mm, I, th- I think across the board is really just to ensure, just to put up your alert mode, even though you may be at home. So personally, I think putting on a privacy filter on your laptop, that may help. And for those who 
may always be using the same password. There is an app out there called Jumbo that uh, would help you to ensure, or rather they would check to see whether your password is up for change and recommend that you should do so. So those are things that I believe people could take note of as well. Now, back to Straits Interactive. I do understand you're a one-stop center for everything PDPA and you have the, the, a very large team of internationally certified consultants. How, how many consultants do you have? Well, we have full-time and also consultants on contract. So this team is always growing because, you know, in the past six, uh, in, uh, yeah, in the past six months, there's been a lot of movement in the various companies. And even for the past one and a half years, there has been quite, quite a sizable number of folks who are taking up data protection courses to, to get ready into uh, the data protection consulting business. And some of them have even been uh, doing these projects as well. So for us, we look at consultants uh, across different tiers. Okay, those who have experience in, in operations with knowledge in data protection. Okay, those who have local certifications, those who have international certifications. For example, for myself, I'm an international fellow of information privacy and I also write for Bloomberg. So we do look out for different backgrounds and currently our team has probably about, I would say about 20 or so experienced consultants. But in terms of the contract, those consultants on a contract basis, I don't think I'm in a good position to answer that. Given the need of this aspect of things that apply across all companies in Singapore, are you guys presently hiring? Yes, definitely. Um, so over the past six months, or rather I should say over the past year, the, the whole climate for data protection has changed somewhat. Okay, you will see that the PDPA is getting stricter. You can see that even in business contracts, business tenders, and even in company awards, okay, business awards, data protection has become one of the criteria okay, for business contracts, for government tenders, and even for, I believe there is a, there's a... There's an award by, I can't remember offhand, but there's a, there's a company award that has put the data protection trust mark as a criterion. So with that in mind, there's been an increased demand for data protection services. There are companies looking to get certified locally. They are, uh, they are looking for uh, regional or international certifications like the cross-border privacy rules, the CBPR, and all of them actually centered on a data protection management program. So I, I, I will attribute you know, the increased demand and hence our increased appetite to, to expand the team as well. You mentioned about the data protection trust mark for people who are, may not be familiar. Could you elaborate more on that? Sure. The data protection trust mark or the DPTM is a voluntary certification that's all, uh, administered by the IMDA. Okay, so basically it's, to, uh, it's really to assess whether the organization has accountable data protection practices in place. Currently, to my understanding, there are about 32 companies who have, got, who have obtained the trust mark. Okay, and it's, it's based on four principles. There's a very structured approach on that. And my suggestion is for any company that is looking to, to, to strengthen their brand, yes, especially locally and internationally and regionally, then the trust mark is a very powerful tool. And I do see uh, very good efforts from the government to encourage companies to, uh, to try for the trust mark. Yeah, so some of the initiatives I do know about are that for SMEs, okay, the registration fee for the trust mark is waived until the 31st of, all, of uh, December this year. And there was, there's also very generous government fundings of up to, I believe, 90% okay, to support companies towards the trust mark. 
And on your services that you're providing to company right now, I don't understand you guys would focus very much as a one-stop shop for all PDPA solution. And one of the key uh, solution out there would be something called DPO in a box. How does that work for companies that may be keen to look into something like this? Ah, uh, okay. So thank you very much for that. Now the so for for us at Straits, we have well, we have a philosophy. Okay, we we believe in this in this framework as well. So we we do we take a people, process, and system approach. Okay, to in terms of providing our consulting services. Firstly, we believe that all the folks who are involved in the data protection committee must be trained and be competent in the PDPA. So that's a base base minimum because with that, that gives you the understanding to go and implement a DPMP in a very structured manner. And that's where the consulting portion comes in to support. Now, the DPO inbox that you mentioned is the systems aspect of this approach. Because we see that many, many organizations are still using Microsoft Excel, which is a very good program, a very good software by itself. Okay, but we, we also see that many companies face challenges because a DPMP is an ongoing program that involves uh, a very high level of uh, tracking across all the departments. So without going too deep, so I'll just give you an example. Yeah. Okay, so one of the first things you want to do in your DPMP is to map your inventory, your, uh, your data, personal data inventory, yeah, the types of personal data, the categories that your, your organization is collecting, okay, is using, disclosing, storing, and disposing. And with that, how do you use this, uh, how do you use this personal data? Okay, so with that, you will be mapping your processes and even with all these things in place, it can be quite messy as you are just doing it via Excel. Now, that doesn't end the story. In fact, it's just the first step. So after doing that, you, have, you will be able to identify the risks. And as you expect, after identifying risks, if I know that, hey, I'll be subject to you know, a, a potential loss of business, a potential fine that I may be facing, then I will be taking steps to mitigate these risks. That's where it gets pretty complicated and... From that step onwards, companies that I've seen typically will be using a few platforms, a few services. So you, they could be tracking via Excel, via uh, emails, via WhatsApp, via all these different platforms. Yeah, sorry, uh, different services. And that really makes it pretty, well, I'll say pretty confusing when a DPO is then asked okay, by the PDPC to demonstrate that they have a program in place. Okay, so the DPO inbox is designed such that Okay, it will help the DPO. Okay, it will, uh, it will make the, the, the management of this DPMP a lot, easy, a lot more effective and efficient. So that, for example, if you need certain reports, if you need to conduct training sessions, if you need to uh, conduct communication sessions, campaigns for the policies and the procedures, if you're going to do the risk management, you want to do some assessments, you want to record the incidents that you are handling, all of this are done via the DPO inbox. And you can even uh, set a governance structure such that you can you can uh, grant access to only the, the parties who have, I'll say, official duties. Okay, who, re who are required to access all this information. So that's where the DPO inbox is really helpful. And you know, for those of you who would like to find out more about it and even to test it before you want to think further, I'm quite very I'm very happy to share with you that we have worked with PDPC to offer this free account for a DPO inbox that you can find on the PDPC's website. So just go ahead and test. So sign up for a DPO Inbox account, test it, see if it helps you. If you're not too sure uh, about the framework on how to use it, there are some uh, video tutorials in it. Or you're, you're always welcome to join us at our webinars. 
So we do some complimentary webinars, especially during this climate, because we, do, we see that as companies are looking to recover from the impacts of COVID, okay, as you're looking to expand overseas, then data protection is one of the key pillars that you need to build up so that the foundation is strong. Then the whole house that you're going to uh, re reconstruct is going to be a lot uh, more, I'll say, earthquake resistant, okay, shock resistant. I do understand uh, for many organizations, they usually would get the perhaps office manager, HR person to be a DPO. And given what you've shared so far, some of these things could be pretty overwhelming as the size of the organization gets bigger. Would there be a trigger point or a, mouse, uh, or a point in time where a company may want to consider putting a dedicated resource just to be DPO and nothing else? Well... You know, Adrian, uh, if you're looking at Singapore, so currently there is no hard and fast requirement that a DPO must be independent, must be a full-time personnel. But if we look across to, for example, in Europe, okay, to, to other countries, even in China, where the data protection law is not yet okay, in force, okay, but they do have an industry standard a specification known as the Personal Information Security Specification. So when we look at other countries, a DPO must be independent to avoid the conflict of interest. So I believe that, okay, this is my personal view, that as we mature as well, as, uh, Singapore and you know, ASEAN and all these countries all around us, then a DPO will become a dedicated post. Okay, uh, that's what I believe this uh, is headed towards. Now, I, I even wrote an article for the International Association of Privacy Professionals because this was a topic about two years ago that was hotly debated on who should be the DPO. Now, according to international studies, I believe the IPP has done this as well. Some of the, uh, well, okay, for lack of for the lack of a better term, some of the favorite departments that will be invited to send a representative as a DPO would be HR, would be legal. It could be also be from marketing and sales because these are typical departments that are expected to touch more on personal data or to have a deeper understanding of the PDPA. So, in my in my article that I wrote for the IPP. I actually champion that if you if you consider the information life cycle, yeah, the whole scope of the PDPA, that because an organization or a company is supposed to manage all uh, all the all the processes that involves the handling of personal data, that you can consider you know all these things like collecting, using, disclosing, storing, and disposing of personal data, then if you consider this approach, it actually spans different departments. Yeah, HR would not be the only department that's collecting. Of course, you, you would be helping some of these departments, some of your colleagues to do it as well. But if you're going to speak about protecting the personal data, okay, when you're storing it, you want to keep it protected, then it is probably not fair to expect that HR also understands all the IT uh, expertise, all the IT knowledge on how you can do, for example, even your endpoint security you know, and all these technical terms. So with that in mind, Okay, the, what I would like to encourage everyone is actually to form your data protection committee. Consider who should be defending your organization together with you. Okay, so if you were to consider from that angle, so again, I'll refer to that article that I wrote, then it is not about the background of the DPO. Okay, that's important, but it is not as important as having a team with sufficient representation okay, of, of the, by the different business process owners. Okay, who own the processes that handle personal data. This committee, if you refer to the guide by PDPC, is a guide on developing the data protection management program. 
then this committee, if it is not, uh, if, it, if it doesn't include your senior management, okay, then this committee should be supported by legal and audit to report to the senior management. So, you know, for all our HR friends out there, especially those who are tuning into your podcast, Adrian, then uh, if you are so-called an arrow DPO that you're asked to do this alone, okay, or if you're unsure of why you're included or rather why are some of your colleagues not included, well, just reach out. We'll be happy to share with you on some of these uh, examples and experiences. So there's been quite a few organizations. They, yeah, they, they sent what I'll call a Wonder Woman or Superman representation. So okay, it's just one person, yeah? So they sent one person to be the DPO. They came to speak to us and we went to present to not just the senior management, but also the other folks that they would like to inv uh, invite to join the DP committee. And I'm happy to say that, you know, after this healthy discussion and a presentation by us, the management actually felt that this is in the company's interest to have a well-represented DP committee. And that's where all the other talks will come in as well to give more support to the DPO and the DP committee. Yeah, I hope that answers the question, Adrian. It actually made a lot of common sense that HR would probably not be able to understand every single touch point where data would come in and out. So someone or in fact a group of people would definitely become a good choice to come together as a committee to work together on trying to strengthen the privacy or the, the way people or companies organize their data. Now I'd like to just uh, go back to your personal professional journey. What has been the proudest moment for you during throughout your course of this line of business that you're in? That's actually a very difficult question. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think I'm, I'm very blessed that this, I made a right choice okay, a couple of years back. And this is really an industry that is booming, that's, that's given me so many opportunities. So there's been many, many notable wins, I would say. Now, I, I mentioned just now that I'm, I'm an international fellow of information privacy. I'm also a referee for the budding, uh, uh, for my fellow budding professionals who are aspiring towards becoming a fellow as well. So I, I, I do write some recommendations for them. That's, that's really, really rare in this part of the world. And I'm what, probably one of the only Singaporeans who also write for international associations like Bloomberg Law and the IPP, as I mentioned earlier on. So I mean, if, if, if it's in terms of my individual achievements, well, I'm also an appointed speaker by the PDPC on selected topics. And I also teach at SMU Academy for one of the modules. I, I co-developed the, co the module and I co-trained this module okay, for the Advanced Diploma in Data Protection. So there's been so many personal wins that I, 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 can't, I can't really imagine what's, you know, which one of them would be my proudest moment. But if I were to take a step back and think about what has really propelled me to join this industry, then I would say that my, uh, my proudest achievement was actually that I have secured, a, I've helped a few DPOs, okay, rather I've helped a few individuals get a job as a DPO. Yeah, and some of them have even progressed along this line. So they may have started as someone who didn't know data protection at all. Okay, some of them had some basic experience. Some of them were consultants. And now they are either, well, I'll say the, the company's DPO or they are, some of them are even the regional DPOs. And in terms of how this, you know, how this has shown as, well, it's, it's actually evidence that such, really building such a pillar will benefit fellow Singaporeans. Then in terms of this, I would say that that's my proudest achievement that I have contributed to the career development of my 
fellow Singaporeans. <laughs> and all this happened over the past few years since you started with Streets Interactive. So for people listening out there, it is never too late to reinvent yourself as Chen Li has shared with us. Just take a lot of persistence as well as trying to be single to really go through and pursue excellence in what you are trying to do. So what's next on the roadmap for Streets Interactive? What is up and coming? Wow. So uh, right now, I think we are very lucky that there's been a lot of demand. And we're also seeing that the requirements, okay, the, the demand for by the companies has also evolved along together uh, with time over the past few years. Initially, it was all about having a baseline. Okay, we're having some training to have some uh, knowledge about data protection. But right now, like I mentioned earlier, as PPA compliance has become a pretty common requirement in contracts and tenders, especially for uh, public organizations. So if you're a vendor to any public organization, then please really do get this act in place, all right? Okay, so, sorry, I sidetracked. But if you are servicing any of these large organizations, okay, public organizations, then do be prepared for the demand for the Data Protection Trust Mark. Okay, so over the past, I'll say one and a half years, I probably have received about, okay, I, I lost count in terms of the actual number of inquiries, but in the past six months alone, okay, 80% of all inquiries has something to do with the trust mark. That's as much, as much as I can share, and they came from, other, from all the different industries. So with that in mind, we are also looking to provide more options for organizations. Now, what do I mean by that? Because there are, there's, a, there's actually a maturity model as well. There are five levels of that. And for organizations that are more mature in terms of the data protection practices, they probably require a, a shorter path towards the data protection trust mark, the DPTM. Now, for some organizations, okay, you may not have started, or if you have started on a very ad hoc approach, then it will be a longer path right, to, uh, before you can attain the DPTM. Now, especially as we look at different industries, the Data protection is probably a topic that is not too familiar with some of, uh, some of our friends okay, in, in different industries. And hence, all these factors will come combine and come together to make the path towards uh, the roadmap towards the DPTM a unique one for yourselves. So what we are working on at Straits Interactive is to provide more, more support packages for organizations to work towards the trust mark according to your plans okay, and according to the resources that uh, you can afford as well. So together with that, we also see that, like Adrian mentioned, if you are willing to put in the effort to, to reinvent yourself and not just to, you know, to throw everything away, but rather to also pull in your experience, professional experience to date, then data protection is a very viable path. So the government also recognizes this, and that is why you will see all these different kinds of fundings. The Citra Plus funding, the SkillsFuture SSG funding, there's also the Professional Conversion Program, Okay, the PCP that is really designed to support, how should I say, support a career change. Okay, so there's been really a few of them, a few of the candidates, a few of our trainees, okay, that we have supported. They they took up the PCP program and, well, just now I also mentioned that some of them have become uh, regional DPOs, okay, local DPOs. Yes, they, they actually got to that position with this program. And if you're interested to find out more, do let us know because we can connect you with the right associations. Okay, not just those who want to want to hire, but even those who can apply for the funding for yourselves, for your organizations. So I think as as streets and also as Singaporeans, I believe this roadmap has common benefits that we can all share. Okay, and it's always very comforting because I, I am quite active in the region as well. 
So it's always very comforting to see that our Singapore's, Singapore's government, our government, is very proactive and has already budgeted to support the growth of this pillar. And before I let you go, for people who may want to find out more about yourself and your offering, where can they go to? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay, so just a little PR, yeah? So you can find out more about offerings at www.straightsinteractive, that's one word, straightsinteractive.com. You can also find out about an- another initiative that we are running. It's called the Data Protection Excellence Network. And that that's uh, actually located at www.dpexnetwork.org. Org. Now, if you are just interested to see what are the some of the offerings in terms of the causes that are available, you can also go to the PDPC's website, and yeah, you can find it. I uh, can find it under. Let me try and recall. I think it's resources for professionals. Thank you so much. For people who will be will, uh, interested to find out more, all this information and references will be provided in the show notes. Uh, so, and that's all we have for time today. Thank you so much, Tin Lee. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you very much, Adrian. And to everyone who's listening in, have a great day ahead. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, you'll be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this podcast and the episodes out to more people who may find it useful. I will see you in the next episode of The Adrian Tan Show.